Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, They are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Rene Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Rene's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. When arrived, they found the telephone the weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird Usually, when you hear about a criminal being paroled, you assume it's because they are reformed or that their crime wasn't a violent one. On May 18, 1927, a man was born who would go on to serve time for rape and murder in 1949. By 1960, this man, who only had one murder under his belt, was somehow paroled and given the opportunity to become the serial killer known as Harv the Hammer. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and set your day with a morning cup of murder. Harvey Lewis Carignan was born on May 18, 1927 in Fargo, North Dakota. This boy from a young age was smaller than his peers, had a twitch in his face, and was a chronic bedwetter. All of this, which was later determined to be stress-induced, was made worse by the constant shuttle from one family member to the next. By 11, he was sent to a reform school where he was sexually assaulted. When he turned 18, he left the school and immediately enlisted in the U.S. Army. He needed to get away. And that's exactly what he did. By 1949, he was in Anchorage, Alaska, where he raped and killed 57-year-old Laura Showaltler. 
Two months later, a second victim was able to escape his attack and immediately reported him to the police. He was identified and brought to the U.S. Marshal for the murder and attempted rape on September 17, 1949. He was charged and convicted and sentenced to death by hanging. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know the story is far from over. Time and time again, we hear these stories about men and women who are released from prison who, quite honestly, should stay there until the end of their days. Harvey Caring Young was no exception. His lawyers filed an appeal stating that his confession was unlawfully elicited by an overzealous officer, and had he not made this confession, he would not be sent to the gallows. The Supreme Court agreed, and in 1952, he was transferred to Alcatraz to serve eight years before being paroled on April 2, 1960. Over the course of the next five years, the paroled murderer committed a number of burglaries, assaults, and other crimes that landed him in and out of jail. In 1965, he was sentenced to a 15-year prison sentence, but given his spectacular behavior behind bars, he was released in 1969. He was married twice, both failing before they began. He was angry, withdrawn, and overall a sexual deviant. So it should come as no surprise that by 1972, Harvey Caring Young was ready to take another life. On October 15, 1972, a 19-year-old girl named Leslie Laura Brock from Bellingham, Washington was found dead from several blows to her head. Witnesses state that, just before her disappearance, she was seen getting into a silver truck. Then, on May 1, 1973, 15-year-old Kathy Sue Miller answered a want ad for a job at a service station. When she showed up for the interview, she was greeted by Harvey, who was leasing the station and had placed the ad. He then took the girl, sexually assaulted her, before beating her in the head with a hammer. This hammer would be, as more bodies piled up, his signature weapon. Her body was found months later by two boys hiking on the Indian Reservation near Everett, Washington. She was naked, bundled in a sheet, and had nickel-sized holes scattered on her skull. Now, when Kathy's body was found, Seattle detectives were no stranger to Harvey Caring Young, so they began hounding him and trying to dig up any information they could that would connect him to not just Kathy, but some of the other women who seemed to be missing. Ones like Virginia Piper, who disappeared on July 27, 1972. Their constant vigilance forced Harvey to flee. A speeding ticket in Solano County, California, on June 20th, placed him in an area where, coincidentally, half a dozen women were missing and murdered in the course of two years. But there was nothing to connect him to these crimes, and he simply made his way cross-country to familiar Minneapolis. On June 20, 1973, 47-year-old Mary Townsend was attacked at a bus stop. When she awoke, she was in the vehicle of a stranger, Harvey, who demanded sexual favors. She was able to leap from the moving vehicle and escape. On September 9th, he picked up 13-year-old hitchhiker Jerry Billings. He forced the young girl to orally pleasure him while he sexually assaulted her with the hammer's handle. He released the girl, but understandably, she was too scared and humiliated to report the incident. The following year, in May of 1974, Harvey began dating a woman named Eileen Hunley, who he picked up while hitchhiking after moving to Minnesota. She was a good woman, a woman devout in her religion, who thought she could change this man. 
but she soon realized he wasn't one to be changed and told her friend she was thinking of ending their relationship. She disappeared on August 10, 1974, and five weeks later, her body was found. Her skull was imploded by the force of the hammer, and, like those before her, she had been raped, but this time with a tree branch. On September 8th, he picked up 17-year-old June Lynch and 16-year-old Lisa King as they hitchhiked to Minneapolis. He offered them money if they could help him retrieve a stranded car. Once he got them into a secluded area, he began beating June in the head and face with a hammer. Lisa was able to escape, and as she was running to get help, Harvey threw June from the car and sped off. On September 14th, Gwen Burton was stranded in a parking lot after some engine trouble halted her drive. She was picked up, and the once-kind stranger began ripping her clothes and choking her. He began sexually assaulting her with the hammer before dumping her body in a nearby field. She was able to survive the ordeal and crawled until she reached a highway and flagged down a passing car. Four days later, on the same day Eileen's body was recovered, Harvey picked up Sally Versoy and Diane Flynn using the same ruse he did with June and Lisa. Once in the car, he began assaulting both girls when they failed to follow his lewd commands. They were able to escape when he stopped at a gas station. Not so lucky was 18-year-old Kathy Schultz, who was found by hunters in a cornfield. She had her skull beat in by crushing hammer blows. By this time, police in Minneapolis began talking to those in Washington, and with the help of survivors, they began connecting all of Harvey's crimes. When they searched his residence, they found a map that contained 181 red circles drawn in areas all over the U.S. and Canada. Some of the circles indicated places where he applied for jobs or purchased a vehicle. Others seemed to coincide with some of his victims already found or the locations of a previously unsolved murder. The others? Those were, more than likely, where the bodies of unknown victims can be found or where missing women were abducted. They began connecting the dots, literally, and finding the answers to some of their now-cold cases. Harvey Karen Young, as they were finding out, was a monster. In February of 1975, Harvey was tried for the attempted murder and aggravated sodomy of Gwen Burton. He pled not guilty, and his defense explained that his actions were the product of a deep-seated mental disorder. That Harvey was hearing voices that he assumed were that of God, telling him to kill these women. That he saw himself as an instrument of God, who killed at least five and as many as 18 women. He was found guilty, but since no criminal in Minnesota can be sentenced to a term exceeding 40 years, he received multiple sentences that added up to 150. But, as before, he has the potential of being released early for good behavior. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on May 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. 
so make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.